0: How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bose Football Final here at KJON2.com. And everywhere you listen to podcasts, I'm your host, Rob DeMello. And joining me, my Spectrum Sports partner, the big little bro, former University of Hawaii offensive lineman, RJ Hollis. And RJ, the University of Hawaii football team, now two and three on the season. And that's following this past Saturday night's 40-32 40 to 32 loss to Boise State, an epic second half comeback that came up short as the Rainbow Warriors would score 29 points in the final two quarters. But ultimately, it's a loss, and it is a ninth straight loss to Boise State in the series. 15th time in the last 16 tries against the Broncos. So we have a lot to delve into regarding this game. Uh, What happens from here? And of course, some of the individual performances from this Rainbow Warrior Broncos showdown. But first things first, biggest takeaway from Hawaii's most recent loss to the Blue and Orange.
1: Uh, It it was definitely a heartbreaker. You know, Um, I was a part of two of those 15 consecutive losses that Boise put on UH And, you know, one year was 55-0, another year was 55-16. So we made a little bit of progress, but to come all the way now, even if you look at last year's conference championship game and the battles with Boise last year, this game kind of really, you know, set the tone for what this team truly can be. There was a lot of question marks out there, and I think that was kind of the biggest frustration amongst a lot of people, you know, especially the fan base is like, what team – Is this truly? And I feel like even though it was an ugly game to start, watching how they kept the resiliency that defense came in and showed out pretty much the entire game and the electric players that we do have, you know, that's definitely a positive step going forward and more so for next year because let's not forget eligibility doesn't count for anybody. So everybody that's on this team this year can come back next year.
0: All right, man. So based on that, something that you said was a a slow start for this University of Hawaii football team, but it depends on what side of the field you're on because the true. Rainbow Warrior defense in the first five Boise State possessions, they forced two punts, an interception, and two field goals. But... The Rainbow Warrior offense couldn't capitalize as they were held to just five first downs in the first two quarters. They trailed 19 to three at halftime. So that slow start by the offense is something we have seen all season long. Even the win against Fresno State, you saw a slow first half by this offense. Can you put your fingerprints on what is happening here with the slow starts uh, on the offensive side of the ball for the Rainbow Warriors? Uh, I mean, there's not
1: really much to put your finger on. It's kind of just the slow starts, because the one thing that has been held true in almost every game is the second half is way better than the first half. I mean, when you just compound on the slow start, you can look at it in the two games that Hawaii won, they scored a touchdown in each game. In the other three games, they combined for three points in all three games in the first quarter. Two first quarters, they didn't score at all. So if you're giving teams that type of head start, you're putting yourself in a bad position to begin with. But the worst part is that when the second half comes, there's a lot of action. It's a lot of uptick and it picks up and it lets you know, well, that fire is there. It just didn't come out fast enough. And, you know, Coach Graham alludes to it a lot. You can't give points away. You can't give teams head starts and expect it to be a close game. But you definitely hit it on the head. It depends on, Which side of the coin you sit on because that defense, that defense definitely came and played in the first two offensive drives, Boise State only got eight yards. That right there is as hot of a start as you're gonna get. Two three and outs on the Broncos to give your team that sort of mojo. I mean, they come out hot. So as far as the offense goes, it it has been a very uh slow, out-of-the-gate beginning for them, but I think. The worst part of it is that in the second half, they do good. I mean, you almost think it's weird to hear that. But if they did bad the whole game, then it's like this is who they are. But to see them come out and, you know, have the zero-point first quarters or even zero points in the first half, you know, three points in the first half, and then you come back in the second and you putting up 20-some-odd points, it lets you know, oh, man, these guys – they've been good. It just took too long, like get it out the gate. So I think that's one thing that, you know, they definitely just got to figure out how to do. I really don't know if there's a special sauce or a formula or a scheme or whatever, you know, you just got to fly in that flow, Joe, the the, the DMX, the right playlist, somebody got to, you know, get the smelling salts, whatever it may be. There just has to be, you know, some form of a fire from this offense to where we don't have to wait to the third quarter to see you guys ball out.
0: And it's definitely a game of inches because we've seen time and time again through these tale of two halves that the University of Hawaii offense has been having here in this 2020 season is not much has changed in regards to play calling. You're seeing a lot of the same plays. You're seeing a lot of the same opportunities, but in the second half, they're just converting on them because in the first half against Boise State, you saw a couple of drops on would-be first down conversions. Uh, You saw... Uh, receiver get open Shevin Cordero can't hit him on that particular play the next time he does hit him but the receiver can't pull it in so there's a lot of things that are going on in this football game that tell you that hey there are some things that might work here let's continue to do it and then you see it happen later in the second half and so speaking of the University of Hawaii offense and and how they perform from a statistical standpoint Shevin Cordero goes 25 of 48 for 253 yards passing three touchdowns, no interceptions. He adds 90 yards rushing in that game with a long of 33, no turnovers. That is a a big deal to head coach Todd Graham and company. And when you look at Shevin and, and what he was able to do in this game, I think the word that jumps out is courageous is strong is someone that is cool, calm and collected because to go through that first half knowing the game that you're coming off of uh, against San Diego state to be able to produce in the second half in that way. And keep in mind, you know, he put the ball in his playmakers hands. once again, he hit nine different receivers in this game. Uh, and we'll talk about Calvin Turner jr. And in, in his effort, but mm-hmm. what were your thoughts on what Shevin was able to do in this game through the adversity of that first half?
1: Uh, I think you got to definitely tip your hat off to the guy, you know, Uh, I'm going to just start with this, and a lot of people may not know this. Shevin has 70 carries on the year, and he's been sacked 19 times throughout five games. So if you want to talk about taking a beating, the guy's already been hit almost 90 times in a span of five games. And what he's getting when he takes that field is more confidence in itself of what he can do because you hit it on the head he's sprinkling the ball to everybody he doesn't have a favorite target he doesn't have a guy that he's just going to chuck it to in the cheap seats and his favorite saying throughout all of his interviews are i'm going to take what the defense gives me he's a game manager he's a baller at the end of the day he wants to do whatever it takes to win and when you talk about your quarterback having 70 carries in this many games and this isn't a triple option team this is a guy that's really just out there sticking his neck out for his guy so you know statistics aside if you just looking at how he plays now I mean last year he had you know a lot of pretty passes he had the run and shoot what was kind of solidified where you could spread the ball out obviously this offense does not have the same chemistry does not have the same flow, Joe. And it's something foreign to him. You know, at St. Louis, he knew the offense. He knew how it was going. When he got to the first two years of UH, he could come in and look like the starter as a backup. The system was there. It was flowing. But it's a new system. No fans. You got COVID that doesn't give you time to get in touch with all of these receivers. Homer knew Calvin Turner wasn't here last year. Rico Bussy wasn't here last year. Zion Bowens wasn't here last year. So these are guys that... You don't even get a chance to really get that sort of connection that you normally would in seven on seven and spring balls with. So you got all this stuff stacked up against you and yet he figures out how to make it. And, you know, he figures out how to do what he can with what he's given. So statistics aside, I'm definitely going to tip my hat off to Chevin Cordero because he's showed me a toughness that even I didn't expect from him. 70 carries and five games. That's a lot. And not only that, he's the leading rusher on the team by 60 yards. And this is not a triple option, folks. This is a man that if they're going to give me this open lane, I will put my own body on the line to get them yards. And, hey, I respect and salute any person that's going to be under the helm as the quarterback and still have that type of heart when it comes to taking the punishment and doing whatever it takes to get your team that W.
0: And definitely a a lot of areas of improvement that you'd like to see Shevin improve on it. You know, accuracy is one that Mm -hmm. jumps out, Um, but definitely the toughness and and keeping the same moxie, the same composure that he does throughout the entire game. I mean, you watch this guy in the huddle, you watch him out on the football field. You don't know if the score is 40 to nothing Hawaii or, or 45, nothing opposing team because he still plays the exact same way throughout the ball game. And I think that is something that is very reassuring to this offense. We talk about him spreading the ball around. Miles Reed was the leading receiver in, re- in regards to reception, six catches for 69 yards. Calvin Turner, five catches, 65 yards. Jonah Panoke five catches, only 30 yards. But on a couple of those, they came at very key times where you wanted to see that quick pass rhythm going. And, and Jonah Pinoke was a safety valve on a, a, on a couple of those possessions that helped this University of Hawaii football team in the second half. And and as mentioned, uh, Calvin Turner Jr., what he was able to do, just absolutely incredible. 158 all-purpose yards, five catches, 65 yards, as mentioned, two touchdowns. He had 12 carries for 36 yards and a touchdown, two two two-point conversion scores. And keep in mind, Yes, this is a University of Hawaii football team that is now two and three. They just lost to Boise State at Aloha Stadium. By no stretch of the imagination are we saying that this is a team on the rise. But with that being said, anytime you have number seven on the field, you are in a position to do some amazing things in the Mountain West Conference and in general. How impressed are, have you been with number seven and, and how he continues to do this, knowing that every team that plays against the University of Hawaii Has a spy on number seven, yet he's still producing these numbers.
1: Well, I'm gonna tell you this, and and, you know, I I can't wait till I do get the opportunity to meet him due to the practices being shut down. I haven't met him. Whoever recruited him definitely gets first dibs on all the food lines as a coach. Definitely gets first dibs. (laughs) You
0: you gotta go to Pullman, Washington for that because he's a Nick Rolovich signee. Coming here to play slot back out of Jacksonville because that program was folding. So he came here to play slot back in the run and shoot system. Todd Graham arrives and says, "Oh, I could do some things with you. I could line you up in wildcat and put you at running back, put you at slot back." So really, credit goes to Nick Rolovich for for laying the welcome mat out to Calvin Turner, but also credit should go to Todd Graham for identifying like what he right. could do with number seven. Right.
1: Well, then let me take that back. Coach Graham, send Coach Rolo a breakfast plate. Y'all yep. can call it even. There you go. <laughs> but this guy number seven, and I mean, seven is the magic number, whether it's Michael Vick, Honey Badger, you know, Patrick Peterson, when he was in college, you look at it. When you put on that number seven, you, you, you want it to mean something. And this kid has definitely put in, excuse me, this man, grown, man. Definitely, yeah, grown man grown man <laughs> my apologies has definitely put that number seven on the map let let, let me just give you a little statistical better back real quick okay calvin turner has 48 offensive touches for 462 yards and seven touchdowns do the math that is 9.6 yards every time he touches the ball now, I may not be a football whiz, but last I checked is 10 yards to get a first down. And if we can get nine and a half every time he touches the ball, well, that's formula for good offense and good moving. And you got to tip your hat off to this kid. And excuse me, you got to tip your hat off to Calvin, to my man CJT, for the way he was able to pretty much beat the horse in this second half comeback. Three total touchdowns, one touchdown that got called back. Hmm. But, you know, the, the, the returns, the receiving, the rushing, the wildcat, the fly sweep, wherever you need him at, he just finds a way to make himself useful. He's tied for leading in rushing touchdowns on the team with my man, Chevin Cordero, and also at the same time, leads the team in receiving touchdowns. So whatever you need him to do, not only is he willing, raising his hand to be in that position. He's getting it done. I mean, how many weeks in a row have we had to talk about Calvin Turner doing some sort of amazing play? You look at this week's little tightrope, little circus act he did on the sideline. I mean, from the camera angle, you thought the play was dead. He stepped out and it was all over. I mean, I'm assuming a couple of the Boise players thought the play was dead. Regardless, this is somebody that you just put the ball in his hands. He making magic. And that is, hey. I can't break my hand clap out all the time, but for somebody that's getting a first down every time they touch the ball, whether as a receiver, a wildcat, or a running back, you, sir, you, sir, get the nod on, on Man, get,
0: getting the R.J. Hollis clap, that's like getting a helmet sticker back in the day, you know? thats, <laughs> a, that's...
1: Hey, He earned it, man. And throughout these games, he earned it. And like I said, they are now sort of tailoring their offense just to get him the ball. You know, we didn't see that fly sweep come in until about week three or four where it's really only Calvin Turner getting that fly sweep, but they know this guy's electric. He's static shock. We've seen the play in New Mexico where he catches it on the right side and we just thought it was going to be a good 20-yard game, but nope, four more got a miss. You look at this game with with the tight rope, you look at the kick return, you look at even the run he got out of the Wildcat, the toughness just to get that last little... Arm up in there for that one yard touchdown I mean wherever you need Calvin Turner to be not only is he there but he's
0: making it happen you know one last thing on the offense before we talk a little bit about the defense and you know and I brought it up that through my naked eye and obviously I am no coach by no stretch of the imagination um, but it didn't seem like all that much changed from the first half to the second half in regards to like it's not like they came out with a completely new offense in the second half and that's why it worked from my vantage point and following that game from Aloha stadium. And I was filming it for KHON too, uh, because obviously it wasn't a spectrum sports game, but it it just looked like execution, right? That used a lot of the same things you saw, but they started to work. And so I don't know what happened in the locker room that may have helped that. I don't know if it was just a matter of it worked, but from your standpoint, what is your biggest concern still, still to play here? after five games about this offense, because by, you know, obviously it's no, uh you know, mystery to anyone that, that, that is a part of the the ball game that has been struggling for the university of Hawaii. So what is your biggest concern here entering week six that you still would like to see shored up by this offense?
1: I mean, we, we kind of touched on it as soon as we started. I mean, we need faster starts. I need fire. I need flow, Joe. They don't have the hawk anymore. Maybe they need to bring that back. I don't
0: know what it is, but you need to come out with some type of fire.
1: In Wait, the two- so,
0: so, and- so, so let me interrupt there. I mean, as someone that played that way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously ever knows that you played with fire. I mean, mm-hmm. is that something that you see that, that the team is not finding a comfortable level of, being motivated or being excited, being in the game, but at the same time, not having anxiety, right? Because it, there's too much hype, right? There's a, there's a such thing as being no, that, too There's that,
1: definitely. So what, definitely.
0: what do you see when, when, that, that makes you say this?
1: Well, what I'm talking about is guys firing off the ball. What I'm talking about is the plays that are magical in the second half. And like you said, you run the same plays in the first half. There's no magic. A lot of these guys, it seems like once they get down to their trailing, and the L becomes a lot more prevalent, then they want to step up and show out. But here goes the thing. You can't keep giving these leads to other teams and expecting you to always come back. It would be different, like I said, if they didn't execute in the second half. It would be different if they got shut out the entire game. But the fact that in almost every game, win or loss, your second half is proven more viable than your first half, you are showing that it can be done. It can be executed and whether it, it can't be the X's and O's, because like you said, you're running the same play. You, it can't be coaching because you don't switch coaches at halftime. You don't switch players at halftime. These are the same players, the same coaches run the same plays at a different time. And if you could do it later, do it now. Don't wait till later. Do it now. I mean, you look at it, the two games they won, their first half, they score 14 points or more. In the three games they lost, they combined for 10 points in the first half. That's all six quarters in the three games they lost. That's 10 points. You can't, I mean, if you want to even put it like this, you tell me and Usain Bolt to run a 100-yard dash at the same time, it's laughable. But if you say we run the 100 and I can start 50 yards ahead of him, is there a chance he catches me? Yeah, but now it's a way more of a nail biter. Come and on, I'm
0: 50 fresh. yards, bro.
1: <laughs> I got to run 50 That's yards that- in the time he runs 100? That's that the dude will walk you of,
0: down so fast.
1: <laughs> I mean, if I think I could run 50 yards in 9 seconds, 9 almost 10 seconds, but even then I'm not an Olympic sprinter. So, if he does great for him, but <laughs> we're on different platforms. They're playing football teams that are equally matched with them, guys that are on scholarship with them, guys that wanna make a living and make a name for themselves, just like you. So if you're gonna give them the first half to make a game for themselves, and you're not doing it for yourself, then when you come out in the second half, it's pretty much all for Nod because that uphill battle you put on yourself. And if you can execute in the second half, you can execute in the first half. The difference is, you got to know when you hit that field, before the game even starts, we are going to come out here with a purpose. And whatever the goal is, whatever we need to get done, we're going to make sure that gets done from play one, from the very first snap. If you do that, I mean, think about it. If Hawaii could just muster out one touchdown outside of the field goal in the first half, it's either a tie game or upset. And that's just with one touchdown. So that's in the whole first half. So if you could come out with some type of fire, and I know people always like, oh yeah, RJB passionate, this, that, and the third. Football is a passionate sport. You don't get hit 90 times like Chevin Cordero without being a little looney to him. He got something in him that bleeds a lot more than just, oh, I want to get a scholarship and I want to win. There's something in his head that makes him get to that win. And if all 11, if all 20, because it's not just, you know, one rotation, they got backup uh, linemen like my man, Micah Vanderpool They got nine receivers. They got to catch the ball. They got three guys that running back. So it's not just a single 11. It's that whole offense. If they got that mindset and that mentality that we going to come out here and dog it and get it done and not wait till the second half, I think you will start to see, especially with the heat of that defense, a very different Hawaii football team.
0: Yeah, and it's very interesting you bring that up because, you know, as we talked about earlier with how that game started, it would have been very interesting to see if if the University of Hawaii could have just put one touchdown in that first half and, and how much that would have changed the game because we talked about the first five possessions being two punts, two field goals, and an interception. But in return, the University of Hawaii offense, they had in six of the first seven drives of the game. So there were seven drives in the first half. In six of them, they had the ball for less than two minutes and 20 seconds in those possessions. And in five of those possessions were less than a minute and 45 seconds. So what you're doing is you're having this defense who by all accounts is playing a solid first half, but as each possession goes on and they're getting thrown back on the field, back on the field, it just gives you not only more opportunity for the other team to do something, but you're also more tired because you had just, you're playing with your, you know, with your, your heels to the ground, knowing that is Boise state at any minute, they can blow something up. And, and so if you're stopping them and you're forcing punts, you're forcing turnovers and the offense can't uh, convert, th- that's definitely going to be a long game for you. And so I'd like to ask you about this UH defense, Darius Moussao leading tackler again, seven tackles, justice Tavai, five tackles and a tackle for loss. Cameron Lockridge had that interception that we we're just talking about, adding a tackle for loss as well. Um, As this season goes on, it's very evident that this defense gets stronger and stronger, but the scoreboard doesn't always indicate that. Uh, And if you're someone that just loves statistics and you love looking at numbers, um, you're not all that impressed. But I have a feeling that you are impressed with what this defense has done. Most definitely. I mean,
1: when you see the amount of, you know, attacks and stunts and fronts that they use against teams to keep them guessing. It's actually, you know, quite, quite uh, fun to watch especially as somebody who had to block against defenses like that and know how difficult it is to get some of these stunts and fronts going and you know you see a lot of these guys stepping up like Pane Pavihi and Darius Moussa who you put on the line sometimes you ask them to be in coverage or coverage a slot or be a stand-up linebacker and they always figure out ways to make it happen you know they TFLs are way more common than I remember them you know turnovers and getting after the quarterback you know they may not have all Of the pieces they would like to have but with what they have they're making it work quite successfully and it seems like you know although there may be statistically a lot of you know yards getting put up or points and so on and so forth if you put every part of the game into it including the offensive slow starts and you know how many players they are down like eugene ford and you know the amount of plays they have to go against consistently with these players uh the the resiliency and the toughness of this defense is good but really the x's and o's and execution of it I think is uh a, a really impressive thing I mean there was a couple of times I've seen them actually get pressure on the quarterback with their stunts one time i seen them get pressure with three and they just ran a simple three-man stunt but it worked so you know seeing the simplicity of, of you know the the attacks, but yet making it so complex in the X's and O's and it being successful, I'm definitely impressed by what uh, Coach Graham's defense is bringing to the table. All
0: right, man, and so before we wrap up this Boise State experience, you had mentioned earlier about being a part of this series, being a part of a 55 nothing loss and then a 55-16 loss, but at the end of the day, uh, seeing Boise State win nine straight games in the series, win 15 of the last 16. And no matter who's coaching this University of Hawaii team, no matter what players are on the field, no matter what is going on, home or away, to continuously lose to a team that you are so desperately trying to emulate in regards to success, uh, how frustrating is that for this fan base, for players, for alumni? And with all that being said, even though Todd Graham made it very clear in his postgame press conference that this isn't a team that's about putting up good efforts and, and, and being happy with good showings or, or, or tough ball games, that they're about winning and that's all that matters. With all that being said, being within eight points when the clock strikes zero against a team that you haven't been within 20 points of since beating them back in 2007, is there any significance to that at all? Um,
1: yeah, no, it's a huge significance. And I know, you know, I'm not a big moral victory guy myself. You know, I'm not a type of person that wants to give out participation trophies. But look, man, I played Boise State twice. And in those two combined games, we lost 110 to 16. In two years, one team put up 110 points on us. So as far as my regime of UH was concerned, Boise State was truly untouchable. So you know, when you fast forward into last night's game, and you know we even alluded to it earlier with the slow start, you put up one touchdown in the first half. We might be having an upset dialogue more so than a, a, a you know what if dialogue. But at the same time, these guys in the locker room know that when they face them again, hey, this is a team we let slip away. This is this is a team that we could have put in the win column. We could have put in our regime in our Era of a, another win on the you know road to just trying to get the legacy back of UH trying to become the the top tier when they did beat Boise. So I think you know, being within one touchdown, having the stellar comeback that they did, because let's not forget they were down by you know quite a few points before they made the comeback. I think leaving that locker room, you know, not many people are jumping for joy or patting themselves on the back. But I think there's a lot more of a, a competitive nature now whenever they know they're going to ba- face Boise State because this is a team they were only within one touchdown of. So they're a lot less untouchable than when we played them.
0: Well, the University of Hawaii football team with that loss now two and three on the season. I think any hopes for a Mountain West Conference title game appearance uh, out the door, but they can play spoiler and they got five and oh Nevada coming up on the schedule you got undefeated San Jose State after that. Uh, before ultimately closing out this season against UNLV. But before we start talking about the Wolfpack and how exciting of a game that will be on Saturday at Aloha Stadium, let's open the Bose football final mailbox, where, of course, you can always drop me a line by finding me on social media. That's at Rob DeMello Instagram or Facebook and at Rob DeMello K-H-O-N Twitter. And as I try to explain uh, every week, we get... A lot of questions and comments that have already been touched up on on this show. And so for all those people who sent questions that regarded things that we have already talked about, uh, thanks a lot for sending them in. Please continue to send them in. Much mahalo for supporting Bo's football final. But the very first question comes in from David on Instagram, and he's asking, is anybody else concerned that Todd Graham seems to be focused on the defense while the offense is having problems? Could he fix the offensive issues and be more involved on that side of the ball? So essentially, at the end of the day, Todd Graham is the de facto defensive coordinator for this team. He's calling the shots. He is the defensive coordinator, is is what I should say. Um, and, And when the University of Hawaii is on offense, he's working with the defense. The only thing I have to say about this before I hand the mic over to you, RJ, is there was no issue with Nick Rolovich being hands off on the defense or June Jones being hands off on the defense. So there was no crying for, Hey, don't you think Rolo should be talking to the defense instead of calling all the plays on offense? Right. I mean, it, it just because we are not used to this at the university of Hawaii because of the run and shoot uh, system that has been a part of two of the last four regimes here, or really more than that. I mean, you look at Greg McMacken, who, delegated his offense and defense, both, um, I, you know, it, it's just one of those things that this is how it is done. This is what Todd Graham does. And it doesn't mean anything different than what Nick Rolovich did just on the different side of the ball. Right?
1: No, I mean, definitely a lot, you know, football is a very complicated sport. And in order to have a, a side of the ball that you've sort of mastered that you crafted, That takes a lot of years of studying, a lot of years of coaching, a lot of years of experience. There's not many coaches, if any that I can think of, that are masters, true masters of both sides of the ball. I mean, even if you want to go to the top of the spectrum and look at somebody like Nick Saban, he goes and gets – top-end offensive coordinators. You didn't see him having one-on-ones with Mac Jones or Tua Tonga-Vailoa, you know, trying to get his quarterback play, right? He hires people for that. As far as his concern was, the defense is what he's hands-on with. You said it yourself. And I played with Nick Rolovich. I played with Norm Chow, too, where, you know, Norm is always on the offensive side of the ball. Rolo's always on the offensive side of the ball. As far as the defense goes, they can look at it and say, oh, that doesn't look right. That doesn't look right. But when it comes to knowing the specifics, the schematics, how to hit a certain gap, how to run a certain route, what concepts work again, what defenses, how are they supposed to converse and bounce off each other? It takes a lot more of a specified knowledge to get that. So I think Coach Graham would, you know, he knows if he does need to step in that he will, but people got to understand it's not as easy as walking in, you know, with a rag and some spray and just cleaning up a spot. If you tell somebody to run a different route, Well, you got to understand how that works against the defensive concept. You got to understand how that works with that player as a receiver, as a running back. You know, these are all things that you can't really just pick up in the middle of a season and all of a sudden become the head of. So, you know, I understand where people are coming from with Izzy being a little hands off, but you got to understand even from the top tier, football is a very complex sport and typically coaches are really good on one side of the ball and they're going to hire somebody to take care of the other side.
0: Yeah. And when you look at at the end of the day, there are different types of head coaches. There's the CEO type coach, right? Right, That is the face of the program that he oversees it all. And and he hires someone to run the offense and defense. That that was like Greg McMacken at the university of Hawaii, where Dave Aranda was running the defense by 2010. And you had Nick Rolovich and Ron Lee running the offense uh, for the university of Hawaii at that time. Then you have the Nick Rolovich type, right? Who runs the offense. He has his Group of coaches, Craig Stussman, Brian Smith, to help him there. But he has someone, he hires someone to run the defense. And last season uh, for the University of Hawaii, that was Corey Batoon. When you look at Todd Graham right now, and, and then going back to June Jones, and you know he brought in a couple guys, Kevin Lempa, Greg McMacken, Jerry Glanville to do that. And when you look at Todd Graham, it's the exact same thing as June Jones, but it is just from a defensive side and a defensive focus and defensive philosophy and he outsources his offense to his current regime. And that's GJ Kinney. That's Brendan Marion. That's Bo Graham. And so you just have to trust that what the offense is doing and how the offense is performing, how the offensive is growing. Todd Graham sees it all. He's watching that happen as well, but he's just not doing the X's and O's like he does on defense. And, you know, Todd Graham has a track record of bringing in offensive coaches that go on to do good things, and and one of them is a Nevada head coach that's going to be at Aloha Stadium. So, um, from that side of things, it, it's not anything that I think people need to trip out on that Todd Graham is, is focusing on the defense at the end of the day, he is the defensive coordinator. So just trying to view it that way, that he is the June Jones of defense here at the university of Hawaii. All right. Sean on Instagram is asking, what was the difference this week in the offensive lines performance? And I didn't even promote that RJ was being on this show this week. So this is perfect. (laughs) Uh, What was the difference this week in the offensive lines performance, only two sacks given up, Without Coley Val and Ilm Manning, so what did you see out of this offensive line? And and like the, uh, Sean on Instagram points out, without probably the two offensive linemen that entered the season with the most pro future hype. Yeah,
1: no, uh, big shouts out to uh, Micah Vanderpool. As somebody who played right tackle, I can always tell you that left tackle position is high pressure, high octane, and when you got somebody as solid as Ilm Manning that's been there you know, going on three years without missing a beat, you know, you you feel that position's locked down and for Micah to go in there and, and play the position the way he did, you know, uh, definitely a, a big hats off to him. You know, the offensive line is a position that kind of has to work as a group. So, you know, not to really go away from the question, but it's a group thing. What Whoever you have to put in them starting five, they're gonna have to know how to play that position irregardless of who it is. If Gene Pryor has to go play center, that's just how it has to be. If the, you know, seventh or eighth man on that depth chart has to come in and be left guard, left tackle. If Micah has to go to right tackle next week, whatever it may be, the offensive line just has to perform. And I think, you know, as a unit, this was one of the better games they've had all year. Only two sacks, which, you know, I think there's definitely some things they're going to clean up. There's a lot of assignments you see that were, you know, New to these guys, but at the same time as a unit altogether, which ultimately is how offensive lines judge anyway, I think they did uh, really good. But as somebody who was a former offensive tackle, definitely got to give a shout out to Micah. That left tackle position is high pressure all time. So to have to have your first game be against Boise State, hats
0: off to him and this is a popular topic on my social media mentions over the last few days got a couple of questions sent in for bo's football final mailbox and it it pertains to the oregon ducks having their special ohana uniforms in their win against ucla on saturday uh, honoring the polynesian culture and its impact on the program now the uniforms were incredibly done I, i i must say by Kuhao Zane of Sig Zane Designs in collaboration with Nike. I, I spoke to Kuhau uh, earlier in the week uh, as we led into the Oregon game against UCLA. Many responses came in asking why the University of Hawaii doesn't do something similar and why they don't do a special uniform in regards to the culture. And so you know, I said this on social media over the weekend and and, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about it here because I'd like to get your thoughts on it, RJ. But, you know, my whole thing is that the University of Hawaii has the Hawaiian Islands on their helmet, on one side of the Uh helmet. They have the green Asian Uh top of trim on the other side of the helmet, which was created Uh by a local artist back in 2000. You have Uh the the top of trim on the jerseys. You have Hawaii Uh across the chest. So, you know, mm-hmm. just by its existence, the University of Hawaii is honoring Hawaiian culture, honoring the culture as the only Division I program in all of Polynesia. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I, I, I think it's easy for people to see the glitz and the glamour. And again, very well done by the University of Oregon. And I think people should be proud too that a school like Oregon is honoring Polynesian culture and the impact that Polynesians have had on their program, but that doesn't mean that this is an opportunity for people to point out or to question why the multi-million-dollar efforts can't be made into a uniform or whatever it is. I, you know, I, I uh-huh. think that there needs to be some respect put on the name of the University of Hawaii in regards to the representation. Of Polynesian culture, and uh, and that's just important for me to point out. But RJ, what are your thoughts on the situation?
1: Well, I mean, you 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 hit it right on the head. As far as representations of, of Polynesian culture, I I I got YouTube videos of me doing a haka. Like me doing the haka. I'm I'm born in Jasper, Alabama, and grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. What is my six-fold, almost 300-pound self doing the Haka on YouTube for? I'll tell you why. Because when you come to the University of Hawaii, it's already ingrained in it. University of Oregon is about a hop, skipping a leap away from Nike, which I'm known that they have very tight ties. So one thing you got to realize here is there's a big money discrepancy. If you look at how much the University of Oregon is going to spend on uniforms alone, you're probably looking at like half of the entire UH athletic budget. So just saying, we could start with that. But when you want to talk about truly representing the Polynesian culture, more than just putting it on a jersey, more than just having, you know, a couple of Polynesian players come to your school and, and, you know, help you propel yourself into the national spotlight. You know, you you go to the University of Hawaii, where you have to take Hawaiian studies, where you have to take a uh, foreign language, and most people take Samoan. Where you learn last names like Kaloa Matungi, like Faalongo. Where you learn, you know, the history of of the islands. Where you learn the history of. Hawaii in itself, as a state, as a culture, as an identity, as a people, and even further so in the Polynesian culture, when you get players from American Samoa, from Tonga, Tongan descent that, you know, all have a, a long lineage of culture that is discussed and traded right there in that locker room, you know, seeing how they wear the lava lavas to how they mix their kava to, you know their long lineage and pride of just how they carry themselves. These are all things that you learn in the locker room that you learn when you come to the university of Hawaii. And that cannot be fulfilled by just putting a zigzag Jersey on and calling it, you know, Polynesian pride. There's a lot more to the Polynesian people than a nice Jersey. So at the end of the day, you know, university of Oregon, they got a lot of money. They can be very, creative with their uniform a lot more than the University of Hawaii can but let's not you know undersell what the Polynesian culture is and what the Polynesian people are because by no stretch of the imagination is it represented by University of Oregon, Jersey and if you don't believe that you can just go in the University of Hawaii locker room yourself and you will see all of Polynesia represented somehow some way.
0: Yeah. And let me be clear, too, that, you know, this whole situation and, and this whole um, attempt by the University of Oregon to honor the Polynesian culture isn't something that should be knocked upon by University no. of Hawaii fans. And no. it shouldn't be anything that, that is pointed at as disrespectful in any way, because they did everything in regards to Teaching the history and teaching tradition and, and, and all the promos that they went through, uh, you know, and, and it honors the culture for sure. And, and the University of uh, Oregon, um, its most significant football player of all time is from Hawaii and Marcus Mariota and someone who has helped the University of Hawaii as well. Um, the one thing to keep in mind is what's unique is that, and I haven't gotten this confirmed, but th- the University of Oregon wore those uniforms in their third game of the year against UCLA. Now who were they supposed to play in the third game of the year? The University of Hawaii in Eugene. So I definitely think that that's probably why this was even done in the first place was they were about to play Hawaii and wanted to honor the Polynesian culture in the same way that the University of Arizona wore special uniforms honoring the USS Arizona um, Mm -hmm. when the University of Hawaii traveled over there to go play. So it's not like it was one of those deals or it doesn't seem to be one of those things that it just came out of nowhere. Like, oh, just random week against UCLA to do this. This was years in the making. And because of COVID-19, it didn't materialize the way that they wanted to. But um, I want to end it by saying big ups to Oregon, big ups to Sig Zane Designs, and also big ups to the University of Hawaii though. And I don't think that what they have done with their uniforms should be lost. Because I think that it's a great uniform. Um, If you remember the 2015 to 17 uniforms were similar in a way, obviously not done in in the way that Nike did it. um, But Under Armour did the full print, you know, uh, uh, Polynesian designs on the pants and on the arms. It just didn't work out in the same way, probably because it didn't have the same budget and the same artistic eye that that Nike was able to outsource. Um, But it was attempted by the University of Hawaii. So that should be noted as well. Well, as always, much mahalo questions and comments to the Bose football final mailbox. You can always catch me on Instagram at Rob DeMello, Facebook as well, and at Rob DeMello, KHON on Twitter. But Moving ahead now to the University of Hawaii's next game against Nevada. They're facing the 5-0 Wolfpack on Saturday, 6 p.m. at Aloha Stadium on Spectrum Sports pay-per-view. The Wolfpack coming off of a big win over San Diego State to remain at the top of the Mountain West Conference standings. They come here with a quarterback in Carson Strong, who is a 70% passer through five games, 1,800 yards passing, 14 touchdowns, just two interceptions. And they have a running back, Toa Ta'ao, that must be a doctor by now, because I swear he's been at Reno for 15 years. Yeah, I felt like I played against him. Yeah, his third master's degree over there in Reno. (laughs) And, And with everything that Nevada brings to the table, ranking 26th in the country in offense, with 460 yards per, the one thing that you have to keep in mind, and the only numbers that I'm sure Nevada's talking about, is 54 to 3. And that is the score of last season's game when the University of Hawaii absolutely hung it on the Nevada Wolfpack. So in so many ways, is this a big game for Nevada? Because not only are they trying to stay undefeated and keep their Mountain West Conference title hopes alive, but they're trying to get some payback on the Rainbow Warriors. And if you're UH, you have a chance to play spoiler like they did back in 2010 when Colin Kaepernick came here undefeated and ranked. And the Wolfpack got turned around. RJ, how excited are you about the possibilities for this game?
1: Oh, I'm super excited. And, you know, it's kind of the, the tale of two different stories. You know, Nevada just had a very close, gritty game with San Diego State that they won kind of in the final minutes. And Hawaii just kind of had a similar game against Boise that they lost. However, you hit it on the head. Hawaii is no longer in a position where teams are facing you like, okay, well, let's just hurry up and get this win and get out of here. They remember you put 50 on. They remember that you came up to their stadium and had it almost empty. And this was before COVID. There was no COVID. The stadium was just empty because you hung 50 on. So they're going to remember that. And more importantly than that, with a no division conference, with them sitting undefeated, they know that this is another opportunity for them to push themselves ever closer to a Mountain West conference title, which I don't believe they've ever been to. So there's history. There's, you know, revenge of them wanting to get a lick back because a lot of these guys played last year against UH. So they remember the sting of losing 50 something at home. So this, this game is definitely, I feel like going to be a more violent and gritty game because not only do you have a team, with something to prove, but you have a team that remembers you put 50 on them and they got to come get uh, uh, some sort of get back, some sort of vengeance on that end.
0: Yeah, It's an interesting series too, because when I think about Nevada and Hawaii, obviously There's been a lot of games because they joined the conference in the Western Athletic Conference in 2000, and they've been conference partners ever since. So you've been playing them every single year. And especially because you go to the Mountain West Conference, you're put in the same division, you know, but there aren't too many close games that that I remember. I mean, obviously 2007 was really close. 2010 was really close. The University of Hawaii won both those, but outside of that, you almost had two teams in different directions at all times. And so Hawaii was either, getting blown out by the Wolfpack, who were a much better team at that time. And I remember vividly Nick Rolovich coming here as the offensive coordinator uh, for the Wolfpack after not being retained by Norm Chow. And I believe they hung 60 on him Um, in that season and Rolo left the Rolo candy on the Aloha stadium turf. And just a couple of snaps later, he was the head coach of the rainbow warriors. Uh, (laughs) But it always seemed like either Hawaii was blowing out Nevada or Nevada was blowing out Hawaii. What are your thoughts that come to mind in regards to what game, what kind of game you can anticipate with, with this program?
1: Well, I mean, you know, there, that's a, it's usually a gritty, grindy game with them. You know, I remember we went up to, Reno in 2015. And I think we either had a 14 or 17 point lead in which we ended up losing the game because we got up. They somehow got 10 points very quickly. And in the second half, they shut us out and ultimately won that game. So, you know, Reno's a team that always wants to beat Hawaii, whether it's by ties having somebody there like Timmy Chang or whether it's the fact that you just hung 50 points on them last year or they're ranked or you're ranked or you know, they're going up or whatever it is for some odd reason, whenever Hawaii and Nevada meet, even if it's two winless teams, there always seems to be an importance pulled out of that game. So it's always a tough physical matchup whenever these two meet. And, you know, I feel like this year is definitely going to be one of those games that are closer than usual. I see two teams really chomping at the bit, really, you know, bitter for victory because, Let's not make no mistake about it. Nevada is 5-0, and but they've won three games by a touchdown or less. So they've had to fight to get to this position. And I know they want to continue to fight. Hawaii only losing eight points to a team they haven't been within 20 in the past, you know, 10 years or so. That's a team that now has a newfound confidence in itself and wants to prove that it is still top tier to Mountain West. So I feel like these two teams coming to meet this weekend is going to make for a very fiery game. It typically always is amongst the players, but I feel like this will be something that everybody will be able to see, even with the most playing football IQ.
0: All right. It's the Wolfpack and the Rainbow Warriors this Saturday, 6 p.m. at Aloha Stadium. You can catch RJ, Kavika Hallams, Nady Lauer, Robert Kikala, Rich Miano, and myself with the Spectrum Sports Broadcast. Uh, from Aloha Stadium, that starts at 5:15, 45-minute pregame show, and of course, we'll be there for the halftime show and postgame show. RJ Hollis, much mahalo for joining us, and thank you everybody for watching or listening to Bose Football Final at kohn2.com and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Every Monday, much mahalo every everybody. Monday. Every Monday, everybody. Yeah, this train is never late. This yes, train is never late. Bo's Football it Final. On Monday. Choo choo. <laughs> ooh, ooh.